0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning, uh, this whole season of Christmas, especially as we approach now these days uh, before this great celebration of your birth. I'm asking Jesus in this time, in these moments, we've expressed our hearts in song. I pray you would express your heart uh, through me, through your word. In a way that uh, we would encounter you, and once again encounter that incredible miracle of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So let me ask you: Do you believe in miracles? You're a little better than the first service. Maybe they just went away, but I want to show you something that was we considered kind of a miracle that just got everybody all excited. God. How many remember seeing that? How many remember the emotions you felt? It kind of awakens that a little bit again when you see that. And you see the incredible sense of joy and celebration that was experienced. The reason I share that with you is because we don't realize how much joy and celebration there was. The moment it was announced... And that message began to ripple throughout all of Israel and throughout the world that a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, a King was born who was out of this world in His love and His goodness, who was otherworldly with regard to His kindness and compassion and His ability to, to align truth with what is real, reality. In fact, these people, the nation of Israel, had been promised from Adam and Eve on that there would be a deliverer, one would come. And, and they actually at one point saw uh, the working of God through a king from the line of Jesse named David, who then through David, through his son Solomon, extended the kingdom throughout the whole world at that time. And there was this sense of, of God being present through these people. And yet at a certain point when Isaiah comes on the scene and he begins to speak to the people, he's speaking to the people because now this work that God had been doing, the hearts of the people had been so far removed, they had so wandered away from God that God steps in and he, he removes them from the land as a way of showing them how far their hearts are from his presence. In a sense, I'm going to move you away from my temple because the temple represented my presence and I'm going to get you this far away. And Isaiah, to these people who are beginning to, to look around and see and say, where is the evidence of this God? Where is this God? This ruler? All we have is of rulers who are corrupt and in the, in the, in the nation is becoming more corrupt. And, and Isaiah steps forth and says, in Isaiah chapter 9 through Isaiah 12, is this little section where he speaks forth to the people and says, guess what, folks? There is going to come a day when one will come, who will come from the root in the line of of Jesse that looks like it's a stump that has been lost all life. And and think about this. For 600 years, the people saw nothing. No evidence of God. Till one day, Christmas and this little stump from the line of Jesse is a little bud and this bud is announced by angels and by all people who are seeking him begin to start to share about this life this miracle this birth that God in flesh has come to be with his people and to rescue them miracle on ice pales in comparison to the celebration and joy they felt in their hearts in fact often when these kind of things happen people write songs about it. you know they celebrate the incredible miracle that they see well when when this first miracle occurred there were all kinds of songs and carols that were sung that first christmas mary when she is told that this this messiah would come and would come to her Says, My soul praises the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. She writes a song and sings it. Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, when he is told that his son would announce the birth of the Savior. And when this son was born, John the Baptist, he broke into song. He said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He wrote a song. And on the very night that Jesus was born, Luke tells us that as, as the, the shepherds were there out in the field, they must have been godly shepherds seeking after him And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests well we're going to look at Isaiah 12 because once in a while someone is given a glimpse of the miracle that's going to happen and that's what Isaiah was given and so in Isaiah 12 you have this song of anticipation of this great victorious event you turn and if you brought a Bible, Isaiah 12, if not, we'll put that on the, uh, the verses right up there on the screen. It says, in that day, there's a day coming, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord, is my strength and my song and has become... My salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud, sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One among Israel who is among you. And like those... Those athletes poured onto the ice, in a sense, this miracle on ice, he says, pour out because there's this miracle that has come in Christ. And shout out loud with joy. There's four stanzas to this song, four basic um, parts to this song. And the first one is in verse 1. It's a song of reconciliation. First stanza. Second stanza, a song of deliverance, verse 2. The third stanza is a song of abundance. That's in verse 3. And then in the fourth stanza, a song of testimony, verses 4 through 6. So the very first part of this song that is being sung is all about reconciliation. Verse 1. And the point's really rather simple. The point is that God gets angry, but here's the thing to rejoice in. God doesn't stay angry. In fact, if you read it, it says, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you have comforted me. You know, God does get mad. God, he gets angry. We don't like to think about that. But that's what this very part of the stanza says. He hates sin. And let me define what this sin is like. He can't stand seeing the pain of our selfishness and what it does to others. He hates every unloving intention, thought, and act that hurts anything He has ever created. Living beings and created order. God hates every selfish impulse that comes from the heart of man that destroys. When He looks down and He sees the abuse of a child, it gets Him angry. When He looks down He sees the, the domestic violence between couples And the injury that causes. When he sees the betrayal of a friend. When he watches someone abscond a a, a company of its funds. Every form of selfishness, whether a blatant lie or a mild deception. A bonus load of greed or cheating someone out of just a few dollars. A town gossip or just a well-placed few harmful words. God hates it. God hates every sin that separates and destroys relationships. God is a relational God who loves people in relationship to one another. He made his creation so that we would also relate to that which is around us and also relate to him. He hates every sin that separates and destroys, whether it's jealousy or envy or lust or greed or hatred or slander. He hates all pride. He hates all self-righteous judgment. He gets angry, not capriciously, not arbitrarily. He's not like the, the kind of. Uh, parent that maybe you were raised with who you just are always walking around on tiptoes because you, you never know what they're going to get angry about. No, this is a God who's very clear about what he doesn't like and what he hates and what he hates is this. He hates the fact that our selfishness, when we turn to ourself and everyone lives this way, we're all born in this this sense of, of self-centered life, which which is defined in God's word is is our actions and our thoughts and even our intentions that come out and they hurt and harm other people. They harm ourselves and they break our relationship with God. Because he gets angry, not capriciously or arbitrarily, but purposely to put an end to all self-centered, me-first, fear-filled, destructive, pain-causing behavior. His anger is merely his energy to put it to an end. And God's anger always has a purpose. It's not to destroy you. You need to know that today. God never created you to destroy you. God's anger is never—it's not directed at you. It's directed at the sin, the selfishness, our hearts that have turned against Him. And He says, I come against that so that I, at Christmas, was born as an infant in order to come into this life that I might turn away all that anger. I might deal with the sin and the selfishness that separates so that I could bring you into a reconciled, a new relationship with me. I have come to deliver you from that. Do you believe it? Do you believe it's really possible? This God isn't angry. He's not angry any longer because he took all that anger and he put it on a cross towards the sin that was represented in Christ. And he said, I took all that away so that I don't have to be angry with you. All I ask is that you come to grips with that. That's why the next stanza is so important. Because when you come to grips with it, you begin to understand that this God is no longer angry at you. He just didn't want the sin in your heart. And he comes to you and he says, I want to give you a whole new heart. I want to help you live in a way that will allow for others to come into this way. And as you live this way, we can bring all creation, all his people and all that I want into harmony. Once again, into peace. Shalom is what the Jews call it. This wholeness. So the second stanza of the song is one of deliverance. That's why he goes from that. He says, because God was angry. is no longer angry anymore because he has birthed in this life, this son. And this son will take all that anger upon himself so that we don't have to have it. And we will be delivered from it. And so he says, when you recognize your sin, you admit it. And you see how bound you are to it. And you cry out to him. This is a God who will deliver you. The stanza comes from one of the greatest deliverances ever. This time, Isaiah is looking back and helping the people to look back at how he delivered the people one time a long time ago from Egypt and from bondage and from, from a, a way that they thought they would never, ever escape from. And so in chapter 15 of Exodus, it says in verse 1, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. If you look at verse 2 of Exodus 15, it is the very same words that is found in Isaiah, verse 2, chapter 12. These two words, this is what I call the, the refrain or the chorus of this song. It's sung over and over again throughout history. To any person who has come to a place where they understand that this God hates the sin in them, and they want a new heart, and they're looking for this new heart, and they want to live out of this new heart, they want this miracle in their life. They say, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Exodus 15, 2 is the same as Isaiah 12, 2. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. In fact, the only change is in Isaiah. It says it twice, the Lord, the Lord. Because he realizes, here are these people... As Isaiah is talking to them about, and we talked a little bit about last week, here are the people of Israel. They are leaving Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, they they go by the shortcut. They stand before the the sea and they look at Moses and they look... At behind them, and behind them they see the army of Egypt coming after them, Pharaoh in the lead, ready to just wipe them all out. They're not soldiers. They're not prepared for a fight. They're standing hemmed in by a sea, and God brings them to the end of themselves as they're ready in this place to be delivered. And if you're in that place and you're saying, I need a heart that, that is that is transformed, that is made new, not just improved upon, but actually given as a new heart, so that out of this heart can become love and, and can move the things of God through me and, and put me in relationship with Him and begin to restore my marriage or my relationships with my kids or whatever it may be, there is a God who can do that. And he stands with these people and and Moses raises his his staff and the water parts and it's a new kind of miracle, not on ice, it's a miracle under the water kind of thing, so to speak. And he leads them through it. And they watch as the rider, as he says here, the horse and its rider has been hurled into the sea as the, the water collapses down upon them. And Isaiah says, guess what, folks? In that day will come one again who will be born. And in his birth, he will come. He will remove the anger of God. He will begin to allow the power of God to flow through his life. And anyone who would just trust and believe and, and look to him, he will deliver them and give him a new heart, a new desire to walk with him and to know him and to see the power of God displayed through your life, through your very life. He will write a story that you could never imagine. And so here's this God. And Isaiah says that the Lord, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It's a very personal thing. Your parents can't become your salvation. This church can't become your salvation. Some some kind of act of baptism or singing of songs or anything like that, or some kind of act of giving, can't become your salvation. Only God can. And the only way God can become your salvation is you personally invite him into your life and say, I want you, I long for you. And some of you, as I speak, your heart's longing for that. And he just says, open the door, invite him in. And then he does a miracle. Here's what's interesting, though. He says, not only do I do a miracle deliverance, but when I give you deliverance and I bring you through the waters and you see the rider and the horse hurled into the sea, you will then begin to walk with me. And I will, as you walk with me, I will begin to provide for you. I will be your supply. I will, as you walk with me, not just give you a new heart, but I will actually form this heart in you. I will actually give you new desires. I will actually place within you the ability to, to begin to break those habits that you learned in your childhood or that you've learned from your family of origin or that you've chosen through your life because they were the only way you knew how to make it through life. These strategies that you've learned, he says, I'll actually give you new strategies that will allow for you to know love and express that love to other people. If you're open to it. And so in the verse 3 is this, this song of abundance because he goes on when God delivers, he says, I will train you now to live in me. I will train you to understand that all your source, all provision, all that you need in life. And I'm not talking about material things here. I think material things often come as a result of this right-centered place. But what I'm talking about is is, it's spiritual. It's relational. It's what I think our heart's most long for. And he says this. I will be your supply, verse 3 of chapter 12. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I'll reconcile, I'll be your deliverer, and you'll walk in abundance. When you're thirsty, I'll give you water. If he will save you, folks, he's saying, from Egypt's army breathing down your back, won't he provide for you on the rest of the journey? But if you note Isaiah, if Isaiah 12:2 is from Exodus 15, which it is, Isaiah 12:3 is from Exodus 16 and 17. God delivers them; they're on the journey. He makes a way for them where there seems to be no way, and yet they're not even three days down the road, and they begin to complain. 15, 22 through 24. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled. Three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. So the people grumbled against Moses. God, out of graciousness and love, comes along and gives them water. And then they go. It says in Exodus chapter 16, the whole Israelite community set out and on the 15th day of the second month. Okay, they're only two months into it. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, they're a month and a half out. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They had, you know, this bit of the wines. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve. And then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven. This is how patient and gracious God is. He just delivers them. When there seemed to be no way, He makes a way. And He begins to lead them on the way. He provides for them water. They get a little bit further down the road, and they're really upset because they had pots, they had stew, they had leeks, they had onions, they could eat whenever they wanted. Life was so good back then. And God says, I'll give you manna. And then you go on in Exodus 17, the whole Israelite community sent out again, traveling from place to place. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So what do you think they did? Well, the word of God says they all sat down, prayed and trusted that God. No. They quarreled. Now they not just complained, they began to quarrel with Moses. Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? It's almost as if Moses is saying, you are—you have seen God work in this incredible miracle. You've seen Him provide water. You've seen Him provide manna from heaven. Now, it's about time you begin to grow up and live in faith and begin to trust and exercise that your fullness isn't in what I do. It's in God. Now, I have to share with you folks, I know better, and I don't think you are either. I can be a day and a half away from incredible miracles or or a demonstration of God and His power and presence. And I can complain. I can start doing just like they did, and I start looking at other people, to my wife, or or the way my kids maybe aren't doing what they should do, or it could be my parents, or it could be here you at work. I mean, if you would just change and you would get your act together, then my life would be full. Right. Isn't it wonderful to know that your life is not dependent on anyone else but God? And what I think is so interesting here is is Moses is going, God, they're complaining and quarreling, they're quarreling with me. And and, and he comes back to him because I think God says, Their quarrel isn't with you, Moses. It's really with me. And when you find yourself complaining, whether it's, whether it's, um, things that you want here from the church or things you want from other people and all these... You know what? Ultimately, folks, when it comes down to it, our life, our fullness, all that we want, all that we hunger for is really in the Holy Spirit of God in His manifest presence as He begins to fill us up and He begins to move through us and He teaches us how to live in relationship to one another and when He teaches us how to live in relationship with one another, we set up healthy boundaries with one another. We know what's ours and what isn't and we know how to begin to live with one another. We ask people for what we want and if we don't get it, we understand that and we turn to God and we say, you'll supply it, but we begin to live in a very healthy, holy way. That's what it means to live in relationship with god and and the world is looking for people like that the world is looking for families for churches churches are just big families that bring all their luggage together and we all come with this stuff and the thing that we're uniquely different in than any other organization of the world the reason we're the hope of the world is because we have a god who will fill us with himself and make us People who will learn to walk with Him and walk in a healthy way. And so, I want to ask you, because it says you will draw with water from the wells of salvation. There will come a day when there will be no more grumbling and complaining or quarreling and crying for water. Trust will be so complete that each person will find their sustenance in Jesus. Do you believe it is possible to grow that deep in Jesus Do you think that's possible for people here to learn how to draw upon our Lord in such a way that He becomes our sustenance and our faith becomes so deep that even though we go through times that are trial, even though there's difficulty, we know there's a God who is there, who will provide. Are you in the wilderness right now? What's your complaint? Who are you quarreling with? The fourth stanza is a song of testimony, verses four through six. The refrain has been sung throughout the ages, verse two, which I mentioned before, that little statement that says, "The Lord, the Lord, you are my strength and my song, and have become my salvation." You see that you find that in Exodus chapter 152, that very refrain. But verse 2 is also found in Psalm 118, verses 11 through 14. I love how David says this. The nations surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees. I love that, this imagery. But they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, See, in, in His presence, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall. I love that imagery. He, he, he's, he's saying that God often works in ways where He brings us to the very edge, to the very brink, and we're just we're 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 there and we're at that edge. We're about to fall, and He says, "The Lord delivered, help me." And then He makes a statement: "The Lord is my strength." Lord, it's my song. It's personal. He's become my salvation. And then, if you know at the end of the age, we'll sing this refrain. It's found again in Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 through 3. He says, and I saw, says John, what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast of his image and over the number of his name. And they held harps given them by God and they sang the song of Moses. Which is the personal song that says the Lord is my strength. He's my song. He's actually become my salvation. Now I want you to note this: the song that refrain is sung age to age, but the way it's expressed is different. The way that it, it is expressed from age to age is different. Even though the message stays the same, the methods change. If you look at Exodus chapter fifteen, verse twenty, soon after Pharaoh and his army were swallowed up by the sea, it says that Miriam broke out into song. It was like miracle night; she couldn't help it, but she broke out in the song. It says, "Then Miriam the prophetess." Here's a woman who's a leader. Aaron's sister took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. They did a line dance. <laughs> Isn't that cool? We're doing a little country music. If I hand it out, it's like I hand out tambourines and say, folks, today we're going to celebrate Jesus was born. He's become our salvation. We're going to do a line dance. I, people like, whoa, wait a second, dancing in church. The methods change. What's really interesting is you go on and read in Psalm 118. Here's David. It's, he takes this very same song. I just read it. And he uses a lyre. In fact, they often believe there was a lyre and a zither. And I looked those up just to be really clear. The lyre was like a guitar, played like this. And I was telling the worship guys, I said, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I was talking about this with him. And they said, and they used it, and I couldn't remember what it was. And they said, a plectrum. I said, yeah, that's exactly what the, you know, it says in the encyclopedia and other places. And I said, it's just a guitar pick. And they said, yep, that's exactly what it is. You know what a zither is? It's just a guitar like this steel guitar played on your lap. So we're really worshiping like David did. (laughs) Same message in a different song. I wonder if the people weren't complaining, but David, where's the tambourines? And then you go on and you read in Revelation 15. I want to say this to everybody who can't wait for the heavenly choir. Listen to what it says. They held harps given or issued by God and sang the song of Moses. We're going to go back to traditional music in heaven. No. (laughs) How we express our praise changes from age to age, from culture to culture. We get caught up in the methods and expressions and yet forget the message is the same. We change, and the reason we change is out of sacrifice. We pay a cost so that everyone can hear the good news of God's love. Because we want people to hear this God who loves us. I stood at the hospital, and some of you people, many of you know, Rule Nygaard. Rule is really special to me because he is the one who was used by God as the search team chairman to call me to this church. And so when that happens, you build kind of a special relationship. And I stood by his bed, and some of you know he's—he has uh, he had, had passed a kidney stone, and that went into an infection, which is right now by his spinal cord, and it creates immense pain. Um, and I was by his bed, and. And he was in immense pain and his lips were dry and cracked and, his, and Mary would give him some water and put ice on every once in a while. And, you know, at one point he got really, as we're talking, he got real animated, kind of sat up as best he could. And he, he looked at me and said, Kevin, if God uses this pain to bring my children or anyone closer to God, it's worth it. At Christmas, God the Father delivered a baby, His only son to the world, knowing a cross of extreme suffering and pain awaited this little infant. And our Heavenly Father said, if my son's suffering and death brings even one person into the realm of my love and life, it's worth it. If our sacrifice, whether it be personal taste or hard-earned money or precious little time, brings one person into the realm of God's eternal love and life, it's worth it. You don't sound real convinced. Let me ask you: What is God changing in your life that causes you pain? What is God doing that means absence, or maybe going without, or or lack, or some kind of sacrifice, or He's asking you to to engage in, or to express, or to give that someday you will say it? Here's Isaiah's point: No matter how it is expressed. God's people will give thanks and shout and sing with joy and tell everyone what God has done for you. Because in His eyes and in Jesus' eyes, you are worth all the pain that birthed Him here and caused Him to be pinned on a cross. I've asked them, a couple to come and share who God has been working in their life through the ministry of this church and through the ministry of others. So Joe and Lizzie, if you would be willing to come and share a little bit about your story. Let me share with you first about Joe and Lizzie. They are from China and they actually arrived here on July 25th, 2009. The first time they stepped off the plane to this Minneapolis area to attend the U of M. They are at The uh, Carlson School of Business, the graduate school program, they're in the MBA business program. They're really bright people. And so I didn't ask them anything about business stuff. But they've uh, worked for three years in Shanghai before coming here. Yes. And Joe lived in Nanjing. Nanjing. Did I say that right? Yes. My my Chinese is really (laughs) up.
1: Your Chinese is good. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. We'll talk about that later. (laughs)
0: Three to four hours or so from Shanghai. And then Lizzie is from Inner Mongolia in China. Not the Russian Mongolia where George and Terry are from, but you know they're connected but we're divided at one point. Uh, they spoke in English for three to four years. And so for them to even come up here and to share is a big deal. And they've been connected with the Hospitality Center for the Chinese, which is how we got connected, because of how God is using this church body to connect with a whole group of people Who are having an influence here in the Twin Cities, but also will be in China throughout um, the years to come. So let me ask you guys, come on over here for a second. Let me ask you, what did you know about God and Jesus before coming here um, to the U.S.?
1: Uh, Before coming to U.S., uh, we only knew a few things about God. Uh, We know uh, the son of the God named Jesus, who was betrayed by Judas and killed on the cross. Uh, We also knew uh, there were heaven and hell. Um, besides that, we knew nothing.
0: So did you even know that Jesus um, had risen from the dead? No, no. I'm afraid
1: not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and from when we talked, they had told me that the Bible was, in their mind, a history book that had some things in it that helped people live good lives. That's what you were aware of. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about how you came to know more about Jesus.
1: Uh, it happens uh, after we came here. Lizzie and I came to United States at the end of the July to pursue our graduate uh, degree at the University of Minnesota. At that time, we felt lonely and helpless. To make it worse, we had only one bed at our apartment. Uh, in addition, it's our first time to go abroad. So um, at that time, one of our alumni, she is a Catholic, led us to the hospitality center for Chinese where we were giving the free furnitures. Um, we also met with Jennifer, the director at the Hospitality Center. She told us these furnitures were donated by Christians among different churches. She also asked us to leave our contact information and invite us to visit Vazada church later. Uh, at that time, we were very excited and thankful to those Christians who donated free, ch- uh, free furnitures and helped our Chinese students. Why are we puzzled? Why those Christians treat our Chinese students so well, so friendly with us? We puzzled. it.
0: So you were kind of like, what's this all about that they're giving us free furniture?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, tell us. That's a good question to have. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. your first visit to Wysetta Free Church was last August, as I remember. And I remember meeting you guys, and it was at a block party here. Yes. Um, what was that like?
1: Well, I think the first visit to Wysetta Church changed our lives has become the turning point of our beliefs. When we listening the Holy Songs, I cried for no reasons. Uh, I don't know why, but I did cry. Uh, at that time, Sandy, the lady sat next to me, told me that it must be the Holy Spirit made me cry. And God would like me to know more about Him.
0: So... You before, before the message and anything you had heard, you were uh-huh. just in worship singing the choruses that we were singing, and God started moving in your heart. Exactly. Okay, so tell us then what happened after that.
1: Uh, after that, um, we came to our uh, school life engaged in busy schedule, you know, in the business uh, school is uh, very busy. So, you well, uh, went back to school and forgot all about us? Uh, not, not yeah. all about, nearly forgot <laughs> all about us. No, but, that's, uh, that's fine, that's fine. But, uh, uh, fortunately, after three weeks, we received a phone call from Jennifer, uh, the director at the hospitality center, and, uh, she re- uh, she invited us to uh, revisit Vazada church and told us, Sandy would like to have both of us, uh, have a dinner at her house. Uh, at the time, I, I was thinking, who was Sandy? Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, uh, it's she, uh, the lady sat next to me during our first visit. I was not sure, because um, we only had a brief conversation uh, several weeks ago. So, But uh, during our second visit mm-hmm. at the Vazada Church, Lizzie not, o- not only me, Lizzie and I, both of us, cried for no reason when we sing the holy songs. So during that worship time, which often happens, yes, God was moving. Yes. Okay. In addition, what was going on? In addition, our guessing was right. Uh, we found Sandy invited us, and Sandy was exactly the lady who <laughs> sat next to me during our first visit. And after the service, we went to Sandy's house for dinner. And well, we met with uh, Richard and Karen, who later became the most important people who leading us to invite the Holy Spirit to our life. And we also shared about our feeling to the Holy songs. Well, uh, we cried, you know. Well, uh, they told us it must be the power of the God and the Holy Spirit knocking our heart and make our crime. At that time, Richard suggested to organize a small group of Bible study for us to further explore about God.
0: So here at church, you're going to meet. You didn't have a car, so how did you get here?
1: (laughs) Yes, we we didn't have a car. Um, Considering the fact we didn't have a car, Richard volunteered to pick us up and um, send us back Every Sunday, it cost, uh, it took him around one hour for the round trip, uh, plus $15 on his uh, gas bill. (laughs) Is it worth it? Worth it. (laughs) it? Okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: As
1: our Bible study went on, we felt uh, the God's love.
0: Great. So let me ask you a little bit about the Bible study. And I'll ask Lizzie this Mm -hmm. because I heard this story and I heard it as you were in that Bible study, and as you were in this, hearing the songs, and God was moving, and you felt God's love, and, and, and you went to a Bible study that Richard was giving, and he was talking, he used the story about Nicodemus, and he was talking about being born again, and it raised yes. a concern for you. Well, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I uh, looked at the Bible, and uh, I was wondering. If I had to study the whole Bible before I could be born again, because I could not wait for that long. And uh, I, I believe that Jesus died for me and for our sins. So I was ready to follow him.
0: So you looked at this and said...
2: Yeah, it's, it's too thick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you said, I want to cheat and get ahead and, and do it now.
2: Yeah, i I just afraid it will take too long. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, and that's neat because Richard was a great leader and Karen and Marty, they just said, you can do it now. Right? Yes, yes. Good. So tell me a little bit of what's happened since you've come to um, ask uh, Jesus in your heart and to want to follow him.
2: Yeah, I felt enlightened and guided in life and uh i think god knows me very well he always led me to his words applicable to my life that he would like me to know and uh, i still remember uh, in the past before accepting jesus and uh, uh, believing in god i relied totally on myself i worked hard and i was eager to perfection eager for the perfection and the success but many times uh, I still encounter difficulties and failures, especially um, in the first few months after I came to US. And I, I was frustrated and just doubted myself. I, I did, but I didn't know why, why things contradicted to, to my bill. But one day, it was the beginning of our Bible study, uh, when I haven't, I hadn't um, understood well about God, Jesus, and the Bible. And Joe was uh, flipping the Bible randomly, and he said, "Lizzie, I found some words to you, I would like to read to you. So he read as following. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Not the food come to the wise or wealth, to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to the more. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a net, or birds are taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil time that fall unexpectedly upon them. Ecclesiastes. I 11, and 12. And my heart was suddenly struck by this wise word. And I got a sudden enlightenment that the truth was people could not control their time and destiny. And only God knew and arranged all. And people could not get what they wanted, but would, will get what God wanted them to have or to possess and I was so glad that God understands my thoughts and trouble. And after that, I, I believe that everything, no matter good or bad, were not under our control. And I, I have uh, still been very positive and worked hard. But I'm no longer eager to any results because I know God will lead me to uh, what He wants me to have and where He wants me to be. Joe, what about you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Uh, I feel the God's love. Uh, Actually, not only me, but my wife, Lizzie, both of us feel the God's love. With the God's love, we now can do and understand things we cannot do and understand our our own without God in our life. uh, Afterwards, we want to be like Jesus and those who follow up Jesus by thankful forth to all they have, enjoying the peaceful mind and willing to help others. So hearing, uh, I would like to take this opportunity to extend our gratitude to Sandy, uh, Richard, Bruce, Karen and Martin, yes. who are very important person uh, leading us to invite Holy Spirit. Thank you.
2: Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for all the help.
0: I am so grateful because I believe that God, as he's worked in your heart, I've had opportunity to speak with people who are in this process right now who are coming. And God is at work in their lives. And uh, it is so worth it.
1: Thank you, Kevin. For us Thank to you, know Lord.
0: that you're walking with the God who created you. Thank you. And so that's our desire. It's just like yours. We We, we stand with you in this journey and we say, We want to live in a way that we are thankful. We have peace and we draw on all that from God. And we are here to help people take their next step, whatever that step is, to know and to follow Jesus. So that people will say, like we read again and again, the Lord, the Lord, they will say is my strength, is my song, has become my salvation. Let's stand together. We're going to sing um, a song to close uh, this service. Thank you, Joe and Lizzie. You know, as they do come forward, I'm going to just pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for Joe and Lizzie, and I thank you for the, the uh, life that they have entered into and that they know with you. And I know, God, there will be steps at times that will be just full of joy. There will be steps that will be difficult. And we ask that you would meet them in each of these steps, that they would... Express joy and, and, as it says, tell it on the mountain. And at the same time, when there's difficulty, uh, when they're walking through that journey and they feel thirsty and parched, that their hearts would look to you and know that only you and only you alone can be the one to uh, quench that thirst. So, God, be with them and walk with them in Christ's name. Amen.